We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you Monday night after a Timberwolves win over the Sacramento Kings. 116-106. It was, of course, the D'Angelo Russell return game. He's been out for two months and Dilo not only uh, made his return tonight, but he led the Wolves in scoring with 25. But before getting into that, just because I thought today was... Just crazy from an injury standpoint. I want like let's cycle back to like 4 p.m., which was the 6 p.m. starts. So that's two hours before the game, and at 4 p.m. we went into this game thinking that, not thinking this it was the case. D'Angelo Russell, Ricky Rubio, and Malik Beasley were all listed as doubtful to play in the game. And if you track injury reports at all, you know that doubtful typically means there's a 99.9 percent chance that you're not playing in the next game, but it signals that there's a good chance that you're back for the next one well those guidelines were not at all accurate for this game because at four o'clock we found out that not only was the doubtful Delo back but also the doubtful Ricky Rubio was was back as well they both were set to play in the game but then the third element here Malik Beasley 
just because the Timberwolves can't not have weird things. Of course, shortly after D'Lo and Rubio are given the green light, it was announced that Malik Beasley is shut down for the next four to six weeks, which is basically the rest of the season. I mean, the season literally ends in six weeks, so I don't know if we'll see Malik Beasley again this year. But that meant coming into tonight, no Beasley, but Rubio back, and more importantly, D'Lo being back. And, I mean, you know the numbers, right? Cat and D'Lo have only played in four games together this year. They played one game last year, five total. And, I mean, the craziest stat of all is that in those four games, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell only shared the floor for 21 minutes in those four games. Those four or those three have essentially not played together at all that this year. And that totally changed tonight. I mean, D'Lo was on a minutes restriction, so he only played 24 minutes. But 14 of those 24 minutes um, was next to both Cat and Ant. And 23 of the 24 were next to Cat. And, I mean, in those 14 minutes when the Wolves had their three big guns on the floor, I mean, they blitzed the Kings. They, they outscored the Kings by 13 points in those 14 minutes, and that was kind of that was kind of the difference in, in tonight's game. I mean, we've spent a lot of time, you know, talking about Cat, and specifically about Cat, you know, kind of rounding into form recently, but not having anything around him. I mean, with Beasley out, you know, so much of the rest of the season is going to be about D'Angelo Russell and Edwards being those guys around Cat and, you know, providing some some level of competence that hasn't been there the past few weeks. You know, both as individuals, but then I think, you know, more more importantly, how are they going to gel? You know, how are, how are those three going to come together? How are those two going to come together in their own ways? So tonight for the first half of the pod, you know, we're going to dig into, you know, this is the first time we got to see D'Lo with this kind of new team. You know, how was D'Lo used? What was his effectiveness after a layoff? And then in the second half of the pod, this is more what I was planning on focusing on tonight, but then the D'Lo news came. The second half, I want to talk about Anthony Edwards, you know, versus Tyrese Halliburton for the for the rookie of the year. I think, you know, I think it serves as a awards are kind of silly, but I think it serves as a good, you know, a good marker to check in on Ant, where he's been, where he's going, and kind of how he, you know, compares against the best of this class. But first, D'Angelo Russell. So let's start with the simple counting numbers. Like I said, D'Lo is on a minutes restriction, so he only played 24 minutes, but he had 25 points in those 24 minutes. It was big-time scoring production, particularly in the fourth quarter where he not only got hot from three, he got to the line. He had five free throws, five for five from the line, and he had 13 points in just six fourth-quarter minutes. It was big. I mean, that was that was why the Wolves were able to kind of take over in the fourth quarter. It was D'Angelo Russell. And, and, and I think that's probably something we should more so take than his, you know, maybe his, his overall line. He, he missed a lot of twos. He was three of 12 from two, but four of seven from three and seven of nine from the free throw line. He, that's kind of D'Lo's way, right? He, he makes up for some of that occasional ineffectiveness from two with, uh, with production at the more valuable spots, the line and the three-point line. But the biggest thing that stood out to me was, you know, was right off the bat, the first time he checked into the game, it was for Josh Okogie, which meant, you know, Ricky Rubio was still on the floor. So you, you saw the, you know, right away that 
D'Lo was clearly the off-ball guy. Ricky Rubio was the point guard. I mean, it would, for the night as a whole, it would not at all be wrong to say that D'Lo was a shooting guard tonight. He played 12 minutes in the first half, and all 12 of those minutes were next to either Rubio or McLaughlin. And then in the second half, he played 12 minutes again, and he had one minute and 36 seconds where he was on the floor as the only point guard. The rest of the time, I mean, it was it was 22 and a half of his 24 minutes tonight next to either Rubio or McLaughlin. 14 next to Rubio and 9 next to McLaughlin. I asked D'Lo after the game kind of about this role, you know, which was which had its question marks um, at the beginning of the season and just, you know, what is what is D'Angelo Russell as an off-ball player? What do you uh, what did you feel playing alongside either Ricky or McLaughlin tonight? You've kind of done both things where you've played in your career on ball or off ball. I know it's kind of interchangeable, but uh, how did that feel tonight predominantly playing next to Ricky or Jordan? Um, I mean, it just feel like anything. So like I was playing basketball without the ball in my hand. Uh, like you said, I've been accustomed to just being a basketball player for so many, for so many years. And if I was the three, I don't know, without the ball or with the ball, I feel like I'd still be effective try to dominate the game from multiple ways. So um, I didn't see anything. I didn't feel anything. It just it was natural, honestly. If D'Lo can have that prove to be natural, I mean, that would be pretty massive for this team. We, we documented this. You saw it if you watched the game. I mean, the D'Lo-Rubio pairing at the beginning of the year, it did not work. The Wolves had a net rating of minus 22.3 in the 141 minutes that D'Lo and Rubio shared the floor prior to t- tonight, you know, all at the beginning of the year. And, you know, that's the that's the real negative number that sticks out. But I, I think for me, activating D'Lo off ball is not at all isolated to, you know, what his impact on Rubio is. You know, I mean, yeah, it's the Wolves are invested in Rubio to some degree and being able to use Rubio is more than, you know, just a pure backup that holds some value, you know given his salary and such. But I think seeing D'Lo be able to play in this role and find a comfort in it is is just as much about Anthony Edwards as it is about anything. I mean, in these two months that D'Lo's been out, it has become clear that Edwards is a player who is activated on ball. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest things we've learned all year, right? I mean, the player Edwards is showing to be as a pro is... I don't want to call it a point guard, but I would I would call it a lead guard. And with that, you know, for Ant to be himself, it's going to be important that D'Lo can at least in chunks be a player that plays around Ant and is not just a player feeding Ant. I mean, finding a synergy for those two, not just for this season, but going forward, that's huge. And I thought it was awesome going back and looking at, you know, D'Lo's clips. I, I didn't really... I didn't really realize it at the time, but his very first offensive possession on the floor, we saw some of that synergy right away. It was Ricky brought the ball up the floor. He swung it to D'Lo on the wing. D'Lo immediately fed Cat in the post. Cat got hard doubled from the baseline, so you know he couldn't really see through, see through that double team to skip it across the floor to Ant. So he kicked it back out to D'Lo. D'Lo immediately swung it to Ant for a catch-and-shoot three that Edwards made. I mean, purely going off the numbers... The numbers with D'Lo and Ant this year have not been good either. It was almost Rubio-level bad. The offense and defense were both atrocious 
in, in the DLO AMP minutes at the beginning of the year, they also had a net rating of minus 16.4. You know, again, finding a better flow between those two is going to be about those two being willing to find other ways to get theirs. That was the problem at the beginning of the year. It was when Edwards and Russell were on the floor, it, it felt a lot like baton passing. And tonight, I mean, it didn't. We saw D'Lo intentionally, or Finch using D'Lo intentionally through the nail. I mean, Finch had D'Lo running through all sorts of scissor screens, through the free throw line, Iverson cuts that freed him up above the break. I mean, they often went to, they used D'Lo in the role that they've been using Ant a lot, where they used that little a little horns look where, you know, Cat and Ant had kind of been on each of the elbows and Rubio or McLaughlin had been in the point. Well, they did that, except it was now Rubio at the point and Cat and D'Lo at the elbows. And it was effective. Um, but the interesting wrinkle off of that is now, okay, so Edwards isn't in that initial triangle at the top of the key. So there's an adjust. There's an adjustment for him there too, right? If he's not the initiator or one of the two horns, then he shifts. Then Edwards shifts into the corner. And that's where he was a lot tonight. And and that is going to that's going to test Ant. I mean, a big thing for him will be in engaging himself from that corner. That is the corner is a boring spot. And, you know, earlier this year we, we've seen Ant look almost bored in the corner there at times. It's I don't think it's something in his basketball playing career that he's done a ton of. But I think by having some success there, you know, Edwards can he can understand that you can be a weapon from the corner as well. It can it can free you up to do the best things in your game more often. I mean, the corner is just a starting point. Obviously, you know, in the corner we think about it catching and shooting from there, you know, is a is a good option, but that's not it. I mean, the Wolves run a ton of stuff where they where they lift the player from the corner to above, you know, to above the break and then in those situations those are great spots to, you know, catch the ball on the move, catch an attack. Or, you know, if your defender's with you, you call for a ball screen, get get the pick and roll going from the side. Those, I mean, particularly those catch and attack should really give Ant an advantage. I mean, so much of the time, we, we, we talk about downhill Ant all the time, right? Like, top of the key, get him a screen, get him going down to the basket. Well, when he's rising up from the corner and catching it above the break, the defense is shifting in that situation. So Ant, if he can grab it and go, he's going to see and go downhill. He's going to see so much less, you know, adversity to the rim than we've seen him see in the past. And he'll get cleaner pick and rolls from there too, also because the defense will be shifting. But, I mean, the, the staying engaged and staying sharp, that that's going to be the challenge because there's going to be runs of five, six, seven minutes where, you know, it's going to be a lot or it's not going to be a lot for him. It's going to be a lot for D'Lo and Cat and for other guys. So, so Ant. I mean, that'll be that'll be a learning process. But that's 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 what we talk about with this usage war, right? Of of having more of these guys back. Everyone on this team is going to have to be willing a little bit to go away from their main thing. I mean, that is how this team finds balance here. And and really, at the end of the day, it's it's on Chris Finch to have those secondary things. For each of his players to also be maximized it's just what did you think of d'angelo just in terms of the rhythm that he showed just trying to ease back in after such a long absence and finding the game as it came to him i thought he did a great job john i i, I really did like he didn't try to force anything early 
thought the shots he took for the most part in his first run on the floor were good shots. Um, they were, you know, he was always going to be rusty finding his timing. Uh, had a great cut to the basket when they doubled Cat in the post. Um, you know, just some good, good moments where he just kind of got off the ball early on offense at the right time. Uh, and then, you know, we were able to play with him and Cat uh, in some splits at the top of the floor down the stretch where, you know, he, he was able to read the defense and get some separation. And Chris, what do you see for him as a potential in terms of being the cutter off the ball and, and maybe getting some of those passes from Cat and how much that can be a part of what you want to do? Well, he's a high, high IQ guy. I mean, he's a basketball junkie, studies the game. He's always watching games around the league. He, he loves to see what the trends are. He's, you know, always likes to talk hoops. So, you know, guys that have a high IQ cut well and they pass well. And he does both those things. And that's just kind of things that every team needs. Um, and then that's not even talking about the scoring and the clutch shot making. That scoring and clutch shot making that Finch is talking about there, that was – that was there tonight. I mean, with D'Lo in the mix, as we saw tonight, the Wolves now have numerous late-game options on offense. I mean, coming into tonight, the Wolves had played in 26 games this season where they were in a game separated by five or fewer points in the fourth quarter. And over those quote-unquote quote unquote, clutch games, the Wolves' offensive rating in those minutes has been 102.4. There is no reason. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why that number should be that low. I mean, that's down with the Clevelands and Orlandos of the league who don't have shot makers. They don't have creators who they can go to and get buckets in those situations. The Wolves, as they showed tonight, I mean, they, they have three real late-game weapons. Tonight, D'Lo was the main one. He had, he had his 13, 13 of his 25 in the fourth. But Cat was also big there, too. He had a clutch three um, down the stretch, and he, he had, you know, added seven points in the fourth as well. Ant also had four fourth-quarter points. It, again, it's going to be kind of about letting maybe one guy have it more than the other the other night, but but you've got to have a little bit from all three of them. I mean, when those guys start playing off of each other late in games, when, you know, when the game slows down, really, personnel-wise, they should be one of the better clutch teams offensively in the league. All right, we're going to move on from D'Lo-specific conversations, and I do, want to, I do want to focus in a little bit, given that it was the Wolves versus the Kings tonight, a little bit on the Edwards versus Tyrese Halliburton 
Rookie of the Year conversation. But first, take a quick break. All right, Rookie of the Year. Um, the three front runners for the award are pretty clear right now. It's Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, and LaMelo Ball. I mean, despite only playing in 41 games, um, Ball, you know, it, it, it seems like his season is, is you know, coming to a close. I think, you know, 41 depends on how you want to argue it. Maybe LaMelo has a case. But for the sake of this conversation tonight, let's take, let's take LaMelo out of the running, you know, on the basis of not having played in enough games. So if you look at the rest of the league, I mean, that leaves us with pretty much Halliburton and Edwards. I mean, Emmanuel quickly and Jay Sean Tate and like Sadiq Bey have proven to be, you know, intriguing, good role player rookies, but they're more in the all rookie first team conversation than they are, you know, based on their production more than they're in, you know, they're just not in the same tier as Halliburton, the, the tier that Halliburton has been in this year. And, and that's a tier that Anthony Edwards has kind of hoisted himself into over the past six weeks or so. So, to do this, I'm going to reverse engineer it. Let, let's, let's start by making the case for Halliburton first. You know, kind of to play devil's advocate. And, I mean, the, the place to start with Halliburton is that by rookie standards, or actually just by NBA standards, he's he's productive. You know, he's averaging 13 points up for the season, 13 points, three boards, and five assists per game. That's doesn't totally pop, but when you factor in the, fa- the fact that he's shooting at a really high clip, again, not just for a rookie, but for an NBA player, you know, Halliburton starts to stick out in terms of the efficiency in his production. He's shooting 42% from three this year and 54% from two. That is just far more effective than Edwards has been. Edwards, I mean, is averaging for the season himself 18 points, four boards, and two and a half assists per game. But, you know, those numbers, 18 might be a little sexier, but this isn't fantasy basketball. Efficiency counts. And Ant is shooting 31% from three and 45% from two. That's 11% worse from three than Halliburton and 9% worse from two. The difference, of course, here, just on these sort of total numbers is that you know Halliburton only takes 10 shots per game this year five twos and five three five threes per game Edwards on the other hand shoots 10 twos per game and seven threes per game but before I totally make the case for volume let's you know let's give Halliburton his credit for what he does bring outside of his numbers I mean Halliburton might just be a role player right now but he is he is an effective role player I mean for almost Every player in this rookie class, including Edwards, I mean, it's an open question whether or not that rookie has, you know, clearly contributed to winning. And that is not an open question with Halliburton. He does. He's impactful on both sides of the ball. I mean, offensively, as you saw tonight, he moves well on the perimeter um, into space for his three-point shot. And he's able to put, you know, some pressure on the center of the defense by penetrating and manipulating that defense and, and distributing as a passer. Halberton's not a three-level scorer. He, he doesn't get to the rim or the free-throw line yet. But overall, his offense is still very, very clearly a plus. And deep, you know, defensively, similar to his offensive game, he's very perceptive. I mean, you watch him defend off ball, and, and he gets it. That is a rarity for a rookie. You know, on ball, yeah, he's, he's a little strong, scrawny. And, you know, to that end, he's a little bit of a liability in one-on-one defense. But, you know... 
just because he can get pushed around there a little bit, that doesn't... I would still say, in my estimation, Tyrese Halliburton is is clearly helping the defense, not hurting it. So if that's the bar for Edwards, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty high bar to pass. I mean, a positive on both sides of the ball. On the whole, I mean, if you if you consider the whole season for Edwards, it's it is hard to make the case that Edwards has been, you know, in the aggregate, a clear positive on either side of the ball. So, I mean, if we're making the case for Edwards, that's not how you do it. You know, Edwards' case is about recency and carrying that recency going forward. And and when I say recency, I don't even mean like that recent. I mean, for Edwards to have a case above Halliburton right now, we kind of have to remove his first 17 games of the season. I know that kind of sounds like a lot to do, but in many ways, those first 17 games were a confusing training camp sort of preseason for Edwards, where there was obviously a ton of chaos going on with the Wolves. It was after 17 games where Edwards became a starter. And as a starter, Edwards' production and efficiency, you know, has started to grow. In the 33 games he's been a starter, Edwards is averaging 20 points, five boards, and three assists per game, shooting 48% from two and 32% from three. Obviously all on high volume. Edwards has a usage rate of 27% since becoming a starter. Compare that to Halliburton, whose usage rate this year is 17%. I mean, that is that number right there is indicative of the two players playing completely different roles. You know, it's with that, it's fair to say that Edwards' efficiency would probably be higher if he were on Halliburton's usage and that Halliburton's efficiency would probably be, you know, lower on Edwards' usage. I would say even even making that case, that, that probably isn't enough to give Edwards the nod. What Edwards needs to do, like I said, is, is take this recency and duplicate it for the final 21 games of the season. And and really what the I mean, the kind of nice line we can draw in the sand right now is that Finch has been playing for Edward or <laughs> Edwards has been playing for Finch for the past 21 games, and there are 21 games left in the season. I mean, under Finch, Edwards' production has taken another step up. He's averaging 23 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists per game under Finch, and he's doing it on 29% usage. And his shooting, you know, has not improved to clearly efficient, but on that type of volume, you know, the 48% from 2 and 32% from 3 that Edwards is now shooting under Finch, you know, there is there's value in that. I mean, Edwards is... is is creating this production on 20 shots per game. He takes 12 twos and eight threes per game since Finch took over. And I think if Edwards can duplicate that production here down the stretch, these these last 21 games, then he's right there with Halliburton, if you're making the case. And, and to give him the nod over Halliburton, I think that is about two things. It's about improving that efficiency a little bit. Can he be an over 50% from two guy? Can he get up to closer to league average from three you do that the case becomes pretty strong but i think if it were me what would really shift my vote is is seeing edwards continue to make strides defensively i I don't want to say i don't want to give edwards credit for having taken a leap defensively lately but he's played better defense under chris finch and i mean a lot of that 
you know, has been about Finch kind of loosening the reins. We, we see Edwards pretty much every night, um, you know, being more impactful in the passing lanes. Edwards is starting to become situationally a good defensive free safety. Now, can he still be better off ball when he's outside of the primary action? Yes, 100%. That's where, that's where Edwards hurts the Wolves most defensively. But take a step there, which, you know, again, shouldn't be too much to ask. It's not exactly a high level right now. You know, if, if Edwards can continue to be more and more active in the passing lanes and less and less of a zero when off ball, you know, now, now you have a case for a player that isn't just clearly one-sided. And, and if you have that, you know, I, I think for me, you have a stronger case. Now, whose opinion probably matters more than me are NBA players. And as many of you saw, D'Angelo Russell tweeted while he was out that he believes Anthony Edwards is the rookie of the year. I asked D'Lo tonight what was kind of behind that. What has, what has made the case for Edwards lately? D'Angelo, while you're out, you, uh, tweeted that that Anthony Edwards is the rookie of the year what have you uh what have you seen from him kind of in these two months sort of from a distance that has really you know ascended in his play to an elite level um I think he's just a force you know he's figuring out what he does well what he's you know what he can work on you know it's gonna make him that much better going into next year but he's a force he puts pressure on the rim he can dominate a game by shooting free throws like that's that's, that's tough you know a lot of the a lot of the um, elite guards, players in the league dominate from the free throw line, you know, and uh, he's a force, like I said, so, and he's so early, so young. This guy's looking for rookie of the year, like I said. It does sort of feel historically like the rookie of the year, as Deal is kind of describing there, is, is often about what player is playing most like a star in their first year in the league, right? Like, obviously no, no rookie is ever a star right away, but... The majority of the time, the award feels like a recognition of production that suggests a player will one day be a star, right? And that's not obviously the case. I mean, the case for Halliburton here is probably a lot like the case was for Malcolm Brogdon when Brogdon won it, which actually that, you know, that narrative, right, kind of fits in here. Brogdon won it because it was determined that Embiid didn't play enough games to win it that year. And, you know, LaMelo is kind of like the Embiid of this season. Like I said, I, I think Halliburton, right now, Halliburton probably has it. But Edwards has the chance over these last 21 games to continue to suggest that he is the rookie player who is playing most like a star. Do what he's done these 21 games again with some slight improvement. And and now I, th I think you got a rookie of the year. If I'm being honest, to me, on the, the, the more interesting conversation is actually about that project, projection. You know, not not who necessarily is having the best rookie year, but rather what rookie would you rather have on your team? And that's the more important question, right? And I think in that vote, Edwards Edwards gets more votes than Halliburton does, right? So that's what I was kind of thinking, you know, going into it, was wouldn't most GMs probably take Anthony Edwards over Tyrese Halliburton right now? That was my theory, at least. And I texted um, a league executive I know, um, obviously not from Edwards or Halliburton's team, and I asked them, quote, what percentage of GMs would take Halliburton over Edwards right now in a redraft? And his answer was a, quote, small percentage. He said maybe five of the 30 teams would take Halliburton over Edwards, meaning 25 would take Edwards. For him, he, 
personally, he said it would be very close, but that's, you know, in part because he was a big Halliburton guy out of the draft. So I think those are probably, you know, of the more middling teams, maybe some teams that really loved Halliburton out of the draft. There were a, there were, there were a good amount of teams, you know, who really believed that Halliburton's numbers from Iowa State would translate. So maybe you get a couple, maybe you get a couple teams like that who would just kind of, you know, cement their their biases on on Halliburton, you know, coming out of the draft with, all right, now we've seen 50 games of Halliburton kind of doing what he thought he would do. But I kind of thought more about that five out of 30 number. And to me, I think that that number makes some sense. I think if I were a team, if it were me, how I would get to being someone who would take Halliburton is if I was a team that had immediate championship aspirations like this year. If I was one of those teams, you know, I would take Halliburton over Edwards. You know, if you're, say, the the Clippers, right, you're, you're trying to win the chip this year, and, you know, you're the Clippers, you already got your go-to scores. I think they're, you know, taking Halliburton is easy. Plug in the role player. And I think same goes for a couple of the other contenders. It would be hard to make sense, you know, out of the Lakers taking Edwards over Halliburton or the Nets or the Jazz, right, like, you're one of those teams again you just want you want the player who can bust best fit in into a I don't know a sixth seventh eighth man role and Halliburton is pretty clearly that right now but I think if you drop down you know a tier to also you know really good teams you know the teams that maybe fancy themselves title contenders but objectively are pretty long shots for it I think I think for those teams it's got to be hard to pass on Edwards right like if you're the Suns, a pretty young core, be be hard to not want to take the the upswing on Edwards, right? I mean, I think if you're Denver, you got to take Edwards' upside. Maybe Philly and Milwaukee, if I was them, I could be convinced, you know, to take Halliburton's maybe surefire role playing over Edwards' upside. But beyond that, like, I don't know, Clippers, Lakers, Nets, Jazz, maybe Philly and Milwaukee, that's five or six right there. What other team? You know, what other team would take would take Halliburton? Portland? No. Dallas? No. Atlanta down the line. I mean, I think all those teams, you gotta take Edwards' upside based on, you know, the idea that he that he could be a star in this league. It's an interesting one though, right? Like it is the classic upside potential versus already realized potential argument. And I think even if Edwards doesn't win rookie of the year, I think you got to be happy with having the rookie that, you know, 25 of 30 GMs would take right now of, you know, LaMelo Ball notwithstanding. So that's what I got for you tonight. Uh, We will have plenty of time, you know, over these next coming weeks to dig into what Malik Beasley's absence, you know, means for this team. And, you know, obviously not seeing those guys play. I mean, a crazy stat I found today is that Cat, D'Lo, Ant, and Beasley have only played on the floor at the same time for 13 minutes this season. And if Beasley doesn't come back, I mean, that's going to be that's going to be it. But for tonight, I, I felt it was right to, you know, focus at focus on what we had on hand, right? And and that was D'Angelo Russell. And the result tonight was a good one. And even though you know D'Lo, he he started off a little bit rocky in that first quarter. He he right he shook off the rust and um it's it's pretty pretty hard to be frustrated by that performance 
you know, considering he's been out for two months. I think the Wolves are just going to be more interesting with Russell now back in the fold. I mean, every game will feel like it matters more. It will be indicative. The way Chris Finch put it tonight, he goes, tonight we saw a glimpse of what we can be. And to some degree, that's what every game the rest of the year should be. That will start up again on Wednesday night against the Pacers. And I will be back to chop that up with you after that one. Until then, I am Dane. Peace out. Feeling man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.